don't sweat if you're gonna do some experimenting, now would be the time. If you're gonna try to find your authentic inner voice, if you're gonna actually dive into your heart, and if you're a true artist, you'll find a way. Hi, I'm Pierre de Montesquieu, and this is Art Goes On, a podcast where people from the art world share their vision of our society and how they keep the art world running. This podcast is interactive, You can ask questions to upcoming guests through our Instagram account at ourchoices.art. This is O-U-R-C-H-O-I-C-E-S dot A-R-T. Please follow us to be updated. Now, on to today's show. This show was recorded on May the 18th before the tragic George Floyd event. Today I have the pleasure to welcome Eric Yonker, a drawer who lives in California and defines himself as political, stubborn, absurd, sarcastic, cerebral, perverted, jackass, with a heart of golden testicles. I don't know if this is still valid because this quote is from a few years ago, but in any case, welcome Eric. <laughs> I'll stand by my words. <laughs> So how art is going for you, Eric? Art's going fine. I, I've been a, I can't say lifelong, but as far as being, becoming an artist, which was for me kind of a, a late coming, uh, I didn't start art until I was into my late 20s. But um, nevertheless, I mean, it depends on what you consider art, because I, I certainly worked in animation for a while. And before that, I was actually a journalist. But the weird thing is, is that I've had a very strange fear, I think, of uh, paintbrush and paint. <laughs> But maybe that's because it's uh, steeped up against thousands of years of history. Whereas, uh, you know, just attacking with a pencil seemed maybe as non-committal as possible, even though I committed so hard to it. It's like, a, it's like a comedian sort of testing out their material in a way, if I'm thinking on the fly here, like just going like, hey, what do you guys think? <laughs> you know, uh, is this joke going to fly? Uh, and it turns out it did as great a way as I could have imagined, I guess, when I started, because I just assumed that, uh, you know, I would be doing what we're all doing during the age of COVID, but for my whole life. I thought that that's what you do as an artist. You just sort of hold yourself up. And uh, I think I was taking to that a little too warmly. And fortunately for my wife, who I've been with now for 23 years, um, she smacked me out of it being a, a hermit. I think before this all started, I, I would let social anxiety get the best of me. <laughs> and uh, being an artist, I thought, well, that's perfect. I can just like, you know, be in the safety of the confines of four walls and you know, do whatever it is I do. But I have turned in the age of COVID, I've, I've turned to painting and uh, so far so good as far as I'm concerned in the safety of my studio, but uh, we'll, we'll see when, <laughs> when that emerges. But I'm excited about the results. And, and it, if anybody had told me that it wouldn't be as terrible as I thought it would be in terms of the um, ability to control or the messiness or whatever it is that I could actually manipulate it the same way I've been able to manipulate charcoal and graphite and colored pencils and pastel, uh, then maybe I would have started sooner. But I have such a tremendously uh, genius painter for a wife that I, <laughs> I think it probably scared me a little bit because I, I don't want to use it the way she uses it, which is like an inch thick. Uh, I just want to use it the way I want to. So, uh, But I still want to you know, be able to express myself the way I always have, which is uh, through being probably darkly humorous, but at the same time, 
I find that uh, more poetry and uh, beauty is, is, is filtering into the work. I think it's something I've always wanted to do, but sort of uh, put a mask on. Uh, that's that's what a lot of comedy is, uh, you know. It's a it's a defense in one way, and it's an offense in some ways. But uh, right now, I'm just letting it be what it is. So the situation has been an opportunity to experiment, or you had this idea for a long time because you've always said you didn't want to paint. Well, yeah, I think if you'd asked me a couple of years ago and and prior to that if I was ever interested in painting, I would have told you no. But that, quite frankly, it's the same way as. Um, practicing like what what all people are in the NBA doing right now they're in their bed and um, throwing the ball to the ceiling and letting it fall back down you just sort of imagine the ball going in the hole because there's no hole to put it in and um, that quote can go anywhere you want it to uh, but nevertheless I think I've imagined how I would treat it I've thought about it I saw it in my head I maybe dreamt about how uh, paint would be applied to the canvas and I think over the over time it's more like shooting free throws in your mind. I just stepped up to the canvas and did exactly the sort of the way I had imagined myself doing it. And so far, so good. But I don't want to be like, you know, I think I learned a lot from all the different mediums I've ever used. And a lot of them do easily fall into lessons that you can start painting with. And I think the number one lesson of all, I learned from being an animator, which was patience. So I have a lot more patience with myself and uh, I wouldn't have had a, a baby in my 40s otherwise. I had to wait until I was patient enough to have a child uh, to even have the idea that that could be possible. It was a long road to find your voice. If I remember correctly, one of your first artwork was piles of typed letters cut out of the book Moby Dick. Yes, yes. Uh, Yeah, numbers, letters, and punctuation. It was about a million letters. I, was, I would sit there for six months, uh, about 11 hours a day, with these little Dixie cups uh, all lined up. And with little nail scissors, I would uh, cut. And uh, I think, again, didn't have a child, nor was there one on the horizon. This was many, many years ago. And I think um, coming from an animator's perspective, that's not unlike the kind of work you would put in and the meticulous nature of it. And I think I thought, If I'm going to be an artist, if that's really some itch I have to scratch, I think I naively thought that this is a way I can take myself seriously and others can too. It had a, a modicum of humor to it, certainly, uh, but more in sort of an Andy Kaufman way than um, perhaps I was willing to commit to for a lifetime. But I did do a lot of those works. I think one in particular where I rewrote uh, a book with my, with my foot um, and, and having that having given me some hip flexor issues for probably a lifetime. <laughs> When it gets cold, I go, oh yeah, that stupid project I did. Uh, you know, I knew that that maybe wasn't where I was going to make my stand. And I was fortunate enough to start figuring out, especially when, when my, my girlfriend at the time, now my wife would uh, sort of, after four years of doing that kind of thing, sort of smacked me around and was like, hey, this isn't you. You, you got to get out there and show people what you've been up to. And if this, is, if this is what you do, this is what you do. But I think you're a funny guy and you should show that. <laughs> so I went back to that and it just kind of, that's, the minute, it's, it's just proof positive. And I've seen it with many artists. The minute you can tell that they're being themselves, they're being genuine and authentic to their heart, uh, that's when things are going to happen for you. 
you know, you, you can tell when someone's faking it. You can tell when someone's being real. So I try to, I try to do that. And, and um, hopefully when I'm bored of myself, I, I think maybe it's coming just a step, maybe just a shade before other people are feeling the same way. <laughs> so I can change course before that happens, you know. So indeed, you went back to who you were profoundly. You've studied journalism, are a political cartoon fan, and you've even been the president of your high school. So U.S. politics and society hold a good place in your work. You've drawn George Washington, George Bush, Obama, and your current president has been a lot in your drawings. Has he been a peculiar inspiration to you? Well, you know, it's funny because when... Um Obviously, I, I, I'm not a fan of, of Trump and, and hadn't been, uh, you know, maybe maybe as a guest on uh, Howard Stern or something, uh, he was fun and like just a novelty, you know what I mean? But like, as your president, what are we talking about here? You know, I thought George W. Bush was a joke, uh, but you learn that Americans want a president they can go out and have a beer with. But I honestly don't think anybody wants to go out and have a beer With Trump, nor do I think he wants to have a beer with any of his voters. So I think it's mutual. They just uh, have sort of fallen into this position where they go, we like that he's a jerk. And uh, I, I think they'll just, some, they've somehow gotten into this place where they can defend him um, no matter what. It's a, it's, a, it's a cultish polarization. But nevertheless, they'll, they'll call me the same on the other side. So I, I you know, I, I see that, you know, It goes both ways, just like with any relationship. Sometimes the way you feel about, you know, if, you, if you're having an argument with your spouse, they'll, they'll say, well, I feel exactly the same way about you. And you say, how can you see that in me? I, I see that in you. And it just goes back and forth like that. So I understand how there can be just some dissension, but you can't pick your own facts. Uh, and unfortunately, that's what I'm seeing is the other side. I, I, I mean, coming from a journalistic background, I, I, I think I'm on the same side as science, uh, where I must verify in order to find truth. And um, that's just not what's happening out there on both sides, but more so, I think, uh, with Trump and his, and his uh, unfortunate followers. But uh, nevertheless, I did find that when he was elected and I had made a lot of imagery that joked about him before the election, kind of seeing this snowball forming and rolling downhill rapidly. I didn't think he would get elected like nobody around the globe did. I thought maybe he'll start his own network. He'll be this, you know, dissenting celebrity on the far right that will build his cult that way and he'll sell more books and, you know, make more billions or whatever it is he does, but he won't be president for God's sakes. And I think it surprised him as much as it surprised anybody. Uh, but when that happened, I, I felt uncomfortable in the way uh, that, you know, anyone on the left would, but also that I had sort of been associated with an opinion so stark that people would pat me on the back and say, ah, job security for you for 48 years. And it felt weird. It made me stop in all of 2017. I, I didn't make Trump imagery at all. I made Obama imagery as Trump imagery, really. I didn't want to make his face. I got, it was so odd to me that my gallery would uh, sometimes, you know, come to me and say, you make more Trump stuff, people are buying it. And I just, it, it sort of um, made me feel a little nauseous, <laughs> to say the least, and I, I wanted no part of it. So 
Uh, I wouldn't do that. I didn't do that. A lot of the stuff that maybe you see today is just recycled imagery from right around that election time. And I did one um, cover for a, a Tim Heidecker album. It was called you know, Too Dumb for Suicide. I don't know if you've seen that. But uh, yeah, that's, it just felt strange that I, I represented that to people, that this was somehow a successful outcome for me. Uh, it's the last thing I want. I'm, I'm a real... I'm a real blue-blooded Democrat, uh, but a red, white, and blue-bleeding American, and I am a patriot. There's no question about it, and uh, this is just not the way I see my country. I'm also, I would identify as, although not religiously so, but just native, so I'm a Jew, and uh, I just see a lot of things that, um, if you parse through history, uh, these are the beginnings of bad times for people <laughs> in my uh, column. The whole thing is just still creepy and weird to me, but I, but I understand history. So I try not to worry myself too much and know that the, uh, there's another election to come as long as we can have a free and fair one. You were talking about trends and art that sells because of that and the fact that you try to keep your distance from it. You don't do that much commission work now, but you've worked as a freelancer in advertising. A lot of young artists or artists-to-be are doing freelance work and are struggling and even more in this situation. What are the advice you could give them and how do you preserve your integrity as an artist? Well, I can say this, that um, the only reason that I'm still able to do what I do um, is because I think I've always treated life as if it, we were going through a Great Depression. Uh, I literally have lived that way, uh, much to the chagrin of my wife at times, but uh, I don't like to spend money um, because I do have that ultimate fear that it will make it so that I cannot say no to things that I want to say no to. I think that granted that is a, a very privileged position to be able to say, I just want to have some savings so I can say fuck off to people once in a while. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot worse things, but uh, it's been one of my big fears in life is that somehow I will feel that I have to do X, whatever that is, uh, because I can't afford to survive otherwise. And so I've sort of lived my life as a pauper, uh, splurging only once in a while on things that uh, fall in the need column rather than the want column. And I think that that's how a freelancer should see their life. Um, you're going to come across projects that you're, you're going to want to say, you know, this isn't worth what I'm being paid. This isn't worth what it's doing to my heart and soul. And um, again, a privileged position, I, I understand that, but uh, trust me, I, I would say those things to people when I didn't have the money to say those things to people who were maybe treating me in a way that I don't feel I should have been treated early on. You know, you can always say no, what you know now, but you know how it's, uh, you know, don't, don't hit people on the way up because uh, the way down will be much harder for you uh, when it inevitably goes through those ebbs and flows. And I think the resulting energy of having come from, even when you enter into art, first you're this emerging artist, which is this great word that I think uh, rings in the ears of collectors. Emerging, emerging. It means you're at the ground floor of something. But boy, once you hit that mid-career, if you can survive that, uh, that's, that's really where it becomes hard because uh, the freedom you, to change when you've been known to do something so long is also uh, pre-existing. And then people sort of, you know, are like, well, that's already, I've already got, 
you know, one in the collection or I've thought about him for a long time and I said no or whatever it was. You know, again, privileged sort of problems, uh, first world problems, but it doesn't matter if I sell things or don't sell things because, um, you know, I, I mean, ultimately it would matter at some point, but I just... I just don't, I don't buy anything. <laughs> I buy into, I invest in, in uh, the idea that I can say fuck off when I want to. Not that I do that anymore. I'd probably say it a lot more politely. <laughs> I used to be pretty, pretty uh, hair trigger about that, but uh, I'm a lot better now. I'm, I'm more patient. Your wife, Alison Schulnick, is an artist, and a lot of your friends are too. What have you heard from them? Is the slowdown have been an opportunity for them, like painting for you? I, you know, that's been a tough one for me, mostly because I, I see people at first in a totally innocent way. Uh, they mean nothing by it, but it, sort of saying like, hey, this is great for me. This is fun. I'm going to, you know, get whatever, you know, art done, or I'm going to finally get to get my body right, get my summer body right, or whatever, you know wonderful for you but like billions of people on the planet don't really have that luxury to be able to take this time and say hey here's how i'm gonna crush it during covid you know but i think at this point everybody's gone oh shit that's not just obviously that and i think there is that sense that you know uh, just like a sexual dysfunction or something you can have a creative dysfunction in a time like this like you go like stress causes you to not be able to perform, whatever that may be. I think a lot of people are discovering about themselves that as much as they wanted to be able to commit to that exercise regime or that great art they were going to make, that world-changing, global-changing uh, art that they were going to make, that it just isn't in the tank. Uh, it's just not there. I'm able to call on my own hard times through a variety of hard jobs that I've done throughout my life. and. Uh, use those to my advantage but i'm also you know mid 40s and uh been through been through it uh in not obviously something like a pandemic but i think also hearing your grandparents tell stories about how it was through the depression and through world war ii and especially for jews uh you you kind of still look at things with a perspective that this 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 isn't really that crazy it sucks And it will suck a lot for, for people that certainly, you know, don't have the privilege that I, I, I have. But it's not that. It's not that yet. <laughs> Hopefully it won't be. So what is the silver lining for an artist in all that? Well, the, the silver lining in it is that I think you can learn a lot about yourself. And I think you can, since, um, you know, if in your mind you're still building up to being the great artist you were, you think you were meant to be. And, um, you know, collectors are going to love you as soon as they see you and uh, galleries are going to swoon and whatever. Now I think maybe you can imagine a, through, across the board, everybody's in a similar situation where nobody knows what the future is. I'm not saying collectors maybe won't still bite on things, but I'm just saying, I think that there's a sort of balance uh, and evenness that, from the low end of the totem pole to the high end, everyone's feeling the repercussions of this time. And so don't sweat if you're gonna do some experimenting, now would be the time. If you're gonna try to find your authentic inner voice, if you're gonna actually dive into your heart and find if it's just a set of golden testicles or not, even if 
the money's not there, the time is. And if you are a true artist, and I, and I don't want to call anybody out, but I just do feel this way. If you're a true artist, you'll find a way as much as somebody like Bill Trailer would find a way, uh, you know, with crayons and cardboard. You're going to find a way to make your art. And if it's authentic and if it sings, uh, it, it won't matter that it's a cheap medium or, you know, I mean, uh, Jackson Pollock was dripping house paint, uh, much the conservator's nightmare. But uh, uh, nobody should expect any grand results right now. Everyone should just expect that um, get in touch with who you are and see if it doesn't come out in a medium that suits you, whatever that is. Now's the time to do that, uh, even though it sort of flies in the face of me saying it's, um, you know, not okay to say I'm happy about this time because it gives me the ability to X. Doesn't mean you can't take advantage of it. You should if you can. And if you can't, don't worry, you shouldn't. If that's just not you right now, uh, I'm sort of in the Da Vinci idea that all art is self-portraiture and even the lack thereof it just means that you're in a void right now. So that's okay. That's, that's part of being an artist is the procrastination. I, I say, you know, a lot of people sort of self-flagellate over procrastination, but maybe that's a part of your process. Maybe that's when you dream. It's taken me 20 years to, to pick up a paintbrush and now I'm doing it, but I dreamt about it a lot. So now was the time and I'm doing it. Well, good for you. Our show is coming to an end, but before that, I have a few questions that I ask every guest. First, from our audience, Jeff, who knows very well your work and the humor within it, would like to know what made you really laugh lately. Uh, it's, it's just, again, it's so cliche, and I'm still maybe in that sort of heart bubble of being a new father. It's not that new anymore, but I mean, my daughter makes me laugh hysterically all the time. For someone who's not even two years old, it has that sort of uh, whip-smart Juno appeal, where you're just like, I hated that movie because that girl was too smart. Uh, I really hated that movie, but now I'm going like, oh, shit, this girl knows everything already, and it's completely blowing my mind. I'm not going to sit here and tell you she's the next Einstein or anything, but she's crafting jokes, and what more can I ask for? She's 92, and she's telling jokes and laughing at herself, and uh, that just makes me explode uh, with joy. Other than that, I, I think the only time I let out some chortles is just... And they're, they're, they're not chortles of joy, they're chortles of anger is uh, maybe sometimes I get caught listening to some of the things that Trump says just because I, I, can't, I can't deal. Uh, I need to know. I need to know what the hell's going on and uh, what, what it is that the opposition is actually going to believe tomorrow because of what he said today. So I guess I fall into that trap once in a while. And uh, it is a laugh that comes out, but it's one that's a little more maybe of a wicked nature. <laughs> I'm going to add myself a question to complete Jeff's one. You're a comedy fan. You even made an animation for the Seinfeld DVDs. Who is the comedian that you love currently? Or did you went back to the old ones? I'm more a fan of uh, comedy writing, uh, not so much the performing of it. And uh, Seinfeld is the premier example of exactly just, just the fact that um, my whole family was full of New York Jews, and, which, you know, unfortunately are dying off um, as fast as you can imagine. Uh, that generation, it just, uh, there's a part of that that I miss so much. And I think so much of my comedy is my grandfather's comedy. So I look back probably to things like, you know, 
uh, Marx Brothers and Three Stooges. And I do really see in Chaplin and Buster Keaton and things like that, that I see the what Chaplin described as uh, art being the concealment of effort. And that as easy as it looks on screen, I know how rehearsed and meticulous the, you know, the, the going into um, lear learning how to do this type of uh, physical sketch comedy is. It's, it's, it's intense. It's not like SNL where, you know, they, they just go on at the end of a week. This is like a lifetime of doing vaudeville coming onto the screen. And I, I just appreciate so much how much actually went into creating a laugh. And uh, I think that, that was part of the nature of what I wanted to do when I would do these huge, you know, renderings of what would essentially be maybe a, a very simple joke, even though I build a lot of treasure into it. I feel I like surface value, you know, uh, sticking your ankle deep in the piss-soaked kiddie pool all the way to joining me on the deep end without the floaties. And it's, it, it's all encased, I think, in an episode of Three Stooges as much as it is my work, uh, hopefully. So that was sort of the idea is that um, do comedy as if your life depended on it. It's a beautiful thing to watch. Now the question I ask all my guests. Is there an artwork that for you reflects today's society or the time we are living? Well, let's see. Um, I've been thinking, and I always do. My favorite film is uh, Do the Right Thing. Uh, Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing. And I guess if you sort of um, mix that maybe with the Soderbergh's uh, Contagion, <laughs> put that on top of that. So maybe there's something in that. That's a piece of... If you could put those um, on two screens together and watch that, that's perhaps how I feel right now. But uh, let's see. I'm going to say Anything by George Tuker. I've been a big fan of George Tuker, and I think some of his um, methodology with, uh, that goes into painting, not that I'm going to start up with egg tempera or anything, but uh, it's been filtering through a lot of what I do, like Conrad Klapik and George Tuker. And as I go into painting, I, I sort of – want to encapsulate a little bit of that along with my own uh, obvious authentic dark humor. But now that you say this, there's a piece called The Lesson uh, I would look at. Uh, his most famous, one of his most famous pieces, probably uh, Landscape with Figures. I would look at that as well. George Tuker, uh, I think, has encapsulated this time we live in probably better than anybody. You know, obviously he was uh, thinking about the culture at large changing into this sort of... Uh, going from poetry into capitalism, basically. Uh, I think he was watching that with horror. I'm not an anti-capitalist by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, I can see how if you're soft at heart, uh, it's not exactly a place to, to find yourself. Nevertheless, uh, yeah, a lot of, a lot of artworks, uh, I think, encapsulate this time. I, I, I hope that people can look at some of my work. And, and uh, I've, I've wanted to say that... Um, to myself when I look in the mirror that I was sort of a, a prognosticator, uh, someone who maybe could envision what was happening a few years down the road. And I think I, I got caught in this, this cycle of constantly talking about the fall of the Roman Empire, essentially. And I think we're, unfortunately, as it does unravel once again, and we're so threadbare and, and um, you know, the emperor is completely butt-ass naked. I think it's not, it does, it's not a feel-good look at my at my previous art to say like i told you so it's not like that at all it's just uh i wish we could still be those that global leader that the the world would look up to and say hey guys in america how do we handle this time and we're just not even remotely there
So uh, that's that's about it. <laughs> well, thank you, Eric. It was a pleasure talking to you. Oh, thanks. <laughs> and maybe we'll have the opportunity to meet in flesh. Yeah, I hope so. I, I honestly hope so. Uh, on the, your side of the Atlantic or, or mine, either way, uh, that would be awesome. Thanks again, Eric. And take care. Bye. All right. You too. Best to you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Art Goes On. If you like what you heard, feel free to follow and share the show on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or on YouTube. Leave a rating or review to help people find the show. Thanks again.